0: but I had no idea I was achievement addicted, right? I had no idea that I got so much of my worth in those external factors. And so that was something that I really had to look at and focus on because while I was number one, I was getting a lot of recognition and getting a lot of love and affection. And so my brain was saying, oh, I'm, I'm so confident and I like myself. And then as I started deciding, what do I want to do now? Where do I go from here? I noticed you know, as my name wasn't in lights as much anymore and I wasn't getting as much engagement, my confidence also started going down. And so then I had realized that I had created sort of false confidence and had said, because you guys like me, then I like me. So that's also been the journey I've been on the last few years of like deciding I'm gonna like me regardless of whether my name is in lights or not.
1: I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur And today's guest is Ashley Molstead. Ashley is one of the most successful Beachbody coaches of all time, having earned the prestigious Top Coach Award two years in a row. This achievement was no small feat, given that there are hundreds of thousands of coaches. And we dive into it all today on the podcast. In this episode, we discuss Ashley's rise to success in a competitive industry and how that same rise to success also led to addictions to things like achievement and external validation. We also discuss how these addictions led to her swimming in a river full of misery and how she bounced back from all of that. We also chat about her struggles with her mental health and not liking herself, how to overcome the opinions of others, why she is reevaluating her relationship with alcohol and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Ashley Molstad to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Ashley, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, (laughs) thank you.
1: It's great to chat with you. I'm excited to have you on. I've been admired like what you've built as a beach body coach and how you've kind of made it to the top. I was mentioning to you that I I was at the summit where you got the top coach award in, in Indianapolis in 2019 and then you went on to become the top coach again in 2020. My question to you, I guess to start is this, like like a lot of times like people struggle like after they reach the top. Where do you go after being the top coach? Like, I think a lot of times, I think people can probably struggle with this in Hollywood. Maybe they win an Oscar. It's like, what's next? Or an athlete wins a Super Bowl. It's like, what's next? Like, when you won that top coach award, after like the dust settled a little bit, was there this feeling of like, well, how do I top that? Like, how do I get that same adrenaline rush all over again?
0: I had a total identity crisis after the second one. But I also was, like, pregnant and had had another baby, and so, like, everything was sort of shifting. But, yeah, one of the things that I've really learned over the last couple of years is I'm an achievement. I'm a recovering achievement addict, and I got my worth in achieving things. So, you know, it was like I was never able to be proud of myself until I was the best. And at the very first summit I went to – I was like, I think a diamond coach. That's the third rank that you can hit. So I was a diamond coach, but I wouldn't wear my, I didn't wear that. I didn't display it. Cause I was like, I'm not going to feel proud of being a diamond. There's these people that are 15 star diamonds. Right. And even when I was in top 10 at Beachbody, it was like, it just didn't feel that impressive because there was still someone that was higher than me. And so then when I did it, and I was number one, I still felt like there, I don't think that the first year that I did it, I I don't think I had gone to the highest rank. So there's like ranking within the company, meaning I was one out of 450,000 coaches, but then there's also like level, you know, like promotions, I guess you could get. And the highest that you can get is 15 star, superstar diamonds. And I wasn't, I hadn't done that yet the first year that I was top coach. But then the second year I was top coach, I was like, I was every single month like blowing sales records out of the water. It was like, I was doing things that had never been done before. Then I had achieved Superstar Diamond and I was helping so many people below me then also see success. And so then I think by the time I was a second time top coach, it was like, really, what do I do now? I don't know who to look to. I guess, I guess I could be top coach again, but I also had a thing of, I didn't want to be top coach multiple times. Though The person before me that was top coach, she did it four years in a row. And I feel like it's not super good for the health of the network to see success looks like this. Like if you want to be top, you have to be like her or else. So I really didn't want to be top coach. I didn't want to be top coach two times in a row and it just happened. That's the way that it worked. But I didn't want to continue doing it because I feel like it's important for people to see other people at the top so they can sort of see themselves up there. So yeah, man, I fell off a cliff and really... I'm just now coming out of it. I call it the river of misery where I was like, you know, very secure and stable on this one Island. And I had built my empire there and I had built a community and was thriving. And it felt like I got to go see, I got to go find another Island. Like I've made everything that I can here. And so then I just started swimming and I didn't know where I was going. And so it's really been a lot of personal growth and exploration and only in the last month or so is when I feel like, oh, I finally reached my island. And now and now the building begins, but I'm so excited again. And so, but I had no idea I was achievement addicted, right? I had no idea that I got so much of my worth in those external factors. And so that was something that I really had to look at and focus on. Because while I was number one, I was getting a lot of recognition and getting a lot of love and affection. And so my brain was saying, oh, I'm I'm so confident. I like myself. And then as I started deciding, what do I want to do now? Where do I go from here? I noticed you know, as my name wasn't in lights as much anymore and I wasn't getting as much engagement, my confidence also started going down. And so then I had realized that I had created sort of false confidence and had said, because you guys like me, then I like me. So that's also been the journey I've been on the last few years of like deciding I'm going to like me regardless of whether my name is in lights or not and how many people are cheering for me. So man, yeah, it's been a a wild journey. Once I reached the top of that one mountain, I like fell off the cliff and now I, now I'm at, I'm at the next mountain and I'm excited for the climb, but the river of misery was brutal for about three years.
1: Thanks for sharing all that. I mean, I got to think that it has to be tough to like, get to this moment in your life where you think like, once you hit this point that you're going to have everything figured out and everything's going to automatically fall into place. And then once you get there, it's sweet for a little while, right? and then once the taste isn't as sweet in- anymore you start to realize like gosh like what have i what have i done like why have i put so much stock into this and i know that in the network marketing space there's a huge emphasis on personal development and you've also mentioned that more recently, have been some of your biggest years of personal growth. Like, were you diving deep into your own, like, inner work, childhood, your own mental health throughout this process of becoming a top beach body coach, or were you just more focused on building the business?
0: As I was building my beach body business, I wasn't really diving into like childhood or mental, when I found Beachbody, I was depressed and suicidal. So I needed personal development, but I was really more like healing my self-image and confidence, I would say. But I wasn't digging in the way that I do now, because now I'm a life coach. So, you know, I really focus a lot on thoughts and the brain, but I'm really grateful for personal development that that was, A part of the job requirement. You know, they have these, when I first started, it was three vital behaviors, but now there's four vital behaviors at Beachbody. And one of them is personal development. And so because it was a part of the job, I started doing that and I hated it at first. And I would like have to set a timer and I would do 10 pages or just 10 minutes a day. And I would force myself to do it before I was allowed to like scroll social or whatever in bed at night. And then like fitness, right? Maybe you don't like doing it, going to the gym initially, but then you start to kind of, you like feel good and you start to crave it and that's what personal development did for me too. It's like, I always call personal development like fitness for your mind and I started craving it and loved it and I loved that it would make me think new things and just get curious and open new ideas that I hadn't processed or even like another whole world of concepts I hadn't really been exposed to. So, I wouldn't say I was diving into anything super deep other than like my present moment kind of thinking. And now I'm very I do a lot. You know, I'm in therapy now and I have a life coach and a therapist and I journal every single day and coach myself every single day. And I'm dealing with a lot of childhood patterns and trauma and triggers and stuff like that. And it's been really powerful. But that's not where I started.
1: Thanks for sharing all that. I mean, and we're going to definitely dive into like different moments in your life when you've had like struggles with your mental health and how you've kind of bounced out out of that because I know that's a big part of your story. I want to stay on this thread, though, because I'm kind of intrigued, like just based on what you shared. Like, so you mentioned that you were on this island that was super safe. You found so much success personally and professionally in Beach Body and being a coach. Then you got to a place where you were like, it's time for me to leave this island. Was it because you just felt like it was time to turn the page and start something fresh? Or did you have this massive like realization that you were now, you had started to open your eyes to certain things about yourself that maybe you were doing a lot of the Beachbody stuff for the wrong reasons?
0: No, I didn't think I was doing the beach body stuff for the wrong reasons. But I also, what actually made me start the pivot was I wanted to help more people and I felt limited in my scope because Beachbody you can only help people in the US Canada and the UK, France wasn't open yet so it was just those three countries and then I couldn't help anyone who was a coach or was already working with a coach. And so I wanted to but I had a ton of coaches, beachbody coaches coming to me and asking for like mentorship and help and then I went to get certified to be a life coach so that I could I help people more globally and also help the people that were already in my community but I wasn't able to you know work with them in that coach like Beachbody coach realm. So that's really where it started. And then also, you know, Beachbody, they're pivoting their messaging now, but for the entire time that I really was actively working with them, it was, I would say very much like a before and after transformation type company. And really sort of, I would say feeds the diet industry and diet mentality. And as the two-time top coach, I built my whole business on being anti-diet basically and not following the diet industry rules that like there is good food and bad food and you got to earn your treats. And my messaging, I felt like was in direct conflict with a lot of what Beachbody corporate or the super trainers would put out. And so that felt a little challenging. I felt fine because Beachbody, they still celebrated me. Like they let me be me. But there was a time where because I was having the kind of sales that I was and no one was even close, I knew that there was like a need for this messaging that I was putting out there. And so I actually reached out to the CEO in 2020 and it was a probably right before I decided to get certified to be a life coach or maybe right around the same time. But I reached out to him and I said, Hey, listen, I think we're missing a big, like there is a hole in Bodies like, arsenal of what they're offering. There is a need here. And I know there's a need because of what I'm able to do. And I need more people doing this because clearly like people are resonating with it. And he was just like, look, I respect you, but you're wrong. (laughs) The way that we're going to change people's life is by losing weight is what he said to me. You know, he's like, weight loss is the main way to change people's lives. And I just totally disagreed. And I thought it had everything to do with the mind because I never really had weight to lose. And yet I absolutely hated myself, total self-loathing. Even when I had like abs and I was really lean, I still was like, I'm not lean enough. I need to be small. Right. It was like, I just hated myself and I hated my body. And so I knew that it wasn't the body. If we focused on the mind, the body would take care of itself and that's where they're going now, which I'm so grateful that they're doing that. But I felt like at the time, like, okay, if you're not going to help me do this, I got to go build my own thing. Then I got to go out there and I got to help because people need this message. And if you're not going to do it with me, then I got to go create some other way to help people. So then I started working on a course that I ended up calling body positive Badass, And really that was kind of the catalyst was like, okay, I'm going to, I got to go make my own space then if you're not going to do this with me. And, you know, it all worked out exactly as it's supposed to, but yeah, that was, that was what happened when I did that pivot initially.
1: And sometimes you gotta create your own path, right? You gotta create your own path with something that's more aligned with your values, your beliefs, and how you want to contribute with the world. And so I just think it's pretty admirable that you got to the top of the top in this business, and then you could have kept going in that same direction and probably continued your growth, but you've kind of take you took a sidestep and we're like we're like, all right, like what really aligns with where I wanna go in the future? And it's just really cool that you've begun to to pave that way for yourself. I want to keep talking about like your business, and I want to talk about some of the, the common like qualities and traits that you've built within yourself to build a successful business that I think people are going to relate to. But I want to go back into your personal story a bit and talk about you know your journey with mental health. So take the audience back. It's like, what, 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. You're hitting like a rock bottom moment in your life mentally. You're feeling suicidal. You're hyper depressed. What was going on? at that point in your life, how are you feeling and then what were some of the things that helped you like crawl out of that dark space? We will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second. But first wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. I think I have found a new addiction and that's the Paleo Valley beef sticks. When I first came across these, I was honestly quite skeptical being that most beef sticks are highly processed, unhealthy and gross. But after trying the ones from Paleo Valley, I was instantly sold, not just for the taste, but because they are grass-finished, grass-fed, and fermented. Plus, the company is family-owned and accessible, which seals the deal for me. So many people ask, how can I get more protein in my diet when I don't have the time? Paleo Valley has you covered with their high-quality beef sticks. I have even been recommending them to my personal training clients. They come in many flavors, But personally, I am digging the summer sausage and teriyaki. So if you'd like to give one of the best healthy snacks on the market a try, go to paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Again, it's paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show.
0: Yeah, at the time... I just felt like a piece of shit. I just felt like nobody liked me, and the you know I was bringing everyone down around me, and it felt very true. It felt like absolutely I'm the worst It did not feel like a thought, it didn't feel optional. it just felt very true, and you know what I know about the brain now is it doesn 't like ambiguity, so if you tell it to think something, it'll go find evidence to prove that true and so of course, everywhere I looked, I found all the ways that I wasn't good enough and that I wasn't worthy and that people hated me. And, you know, like your brain will find what you tell it to find. And so, but I had wanted to work at Nike my whole life. Again, I feel like what I did most of my life until the last... I don't know, 10 years, eight years or so was do things that other people would be impressed by. Like I lived my life for other people's opinion forever. And so I wanted to work at Nike because everyone thought it was cool to work at Nike. I'm from Oregon. That's where the world headquarters are. And so I thought, you know, that's what I want to do because people will be impressed by that. And I got a job at Nike and then I got a, job with a group of women who, what I know now was they all had their own deep insecurity. But at the time they were just really mean to me and they made fun of me to my face and behind my back. And they were all so close and would do things all the time, but wouldn't invite me. And, you know, they'd celebrate everybody's birthday, but wouldn't do anything for mine. And, but I use that as evidence that I would further evidence. I'm a piece of shit. No one likes me. Look at all this. You know, I also know looking back, like, when you think that about yourself, that's how you show up. And so I don't know that I would have wanted to be friends with me at the time either. Cause it was a lot of like tiptoeing and gosh, I don't know. Do you like me? No, oh, you don't like me. Okay. You know, and just not thinking I was worthy of anything. So I wasn't a real great time to be around. And at the same time I was dealing with some health issues. And so you know, it was in and out of doctor's offices, but I was doing beach body this whole time. And that was like, the only thing that I really enjoyed. Again, I think because I hated my body so much, but it kept me in shape and I felt like I was very fit, but I still hated myself, you know? But when I came out of it, I ended up getting a different job at Nike with a different group. I got my health under control and I sort of like came up from this black hole of depression and I looked at what was the bright spot? And it really was Beachbody. It was like these online communities, people I've never met before that were super uplifting and supportive, which was juxtaposed with these people, these women face to face who were total assholes. And so I just was like, man, that I love this. What if I just start sharing this? You know, what if I treated this like? it was a business and started doing the things that they say to do cuz i already loved the product and then that's when personal development came in but i was just really committed to spending more time in feeling good and taking care of myself and then as i started like i fell in love with the fitness piece of it because i was able to do that from home and it kind of gave you know i was able to get like decent results physically and although like i said it was never enough but it was enough that I could feel proud of myself. So I'd tell people about it. And then people started saying, oh my gosh, thank you for changing my life. Right. Cause I'd plug them into this fitness program and they'd love it. And when people started like saying stuff like that to me, I was like, oh, maybe I do matter. Right. And then I saw that with personal development and people saying nice things to me was like, oh, maybe I'm not a total piece of shit. And then I just really started leaning into that because it felt so good. And then it also felt good to help other people feel good. And that was initially how I pulled myself out of depression. I look back now, and I think it was really circumstantial depression. I don't think it was a chemical imbalance. With my second pregnancy, I had a legit chemical imbalance, and I went on antidepressants because I just, I had no motivation. It was was a a totally different experience. But when I was depressed and suicidal, it was a deep self-loathing, and that was created by my thoughts. So as I started working on my thoughts and changing my thoughts, things really started to shift. And I was able to move through that really deep, dark depression.
1: As far as your thoughts, you mentioned that it was like situational and that you just loathed yourself. And then that like trickled down to other people around you. Had this been something that was like gradual or did something like happen like shortly before this moment that really got you down on yourself?
0: No, there was no impetus. I don't think that like did it. I think I struggled with liking myself for most of my life that I can remember. And this is stuff now, like as I'm doing more work on my own brain and like childhood stuff's coming up now that I'm aware of, right. The reason I hated my body was because I think I actually hated myself, but it's way harder to hate yourself and have the shame over yourself than it is your body, right? Because if you're like, oh, it's my body that's the problem. I'm not happy or successful or rich or in love or whatever because of my body. So then if you focus on your body, that's way more tolerable than like, oh, well, I've got a six pack and I'm still a total piece of shit. Then it's like, okay, then I'm the issue. So I think that's really what was going on was I just hated myself so much, but it was easier to say my body's the issue. And I think a lot of it goes back to childhood where at some point I learned that, you know, I'm not good enough, or I have to act a certain way in order to receive love. And really what I think it is, is my mom, I don't know if she's clinically narcissist, but she has narcissistic tendencies, certainly. And I think as a child, I sort of learned to put her needs above my own right? Because as a child, all you want is your parents' love and affection. And so what I learned is like, oh, to get her love and affection, I have to act this way. And I I think what happens, I started not listening to my own wants, dreams, and desires as a child and prioritized, right, external, my mom, my mom's wants, dreams, and desires. And then I just basically, that grew into me just kind of rejecting myself. Anything I wanted for myself, I just, it was didn't matter. It was insignificant. Who cares what I want? I got to do this, right? And so then it goes out into the world unchecked. And I can remember the first time really having like depressive thoughts was in middle, like sixth grade in middle school at a friend's house. I remember feeling like no one ever invited me to the party. I was always like, whoever was hosting the party would invite someone I was friends with. And then I just got to go because I was friends with that person. But no one was ever like inviting me initially. And I remember just thinking like, no one really likes me. And I had lots of thoughts, right? Because if again, you go out, you have this thought in your brain, your brain goes to try to find evidence for this thought. And it had 25 years of thinking I'm not good enough and people don't like me. And what I want doesn't matter. It's not important. And I'm rejecting myself. And that just sort of built up over time, right? And I'm checking all the right boxes. I'm doing all the right things that society has told me I should do, be happy, and I'm miserable. And so really that's when I started with personal development, really like asking myself what I like and what I want and started going down that path. But I don't think it was like one thing that led to it. It was just years of not liking myself or listening to myself or appreciating myself and a shitty thought pattern that went unchecked.
1: Let's tie in your personal journey now with the business. So you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you realize you're a recovering achievement addict, right? And then you've also talked about how like you didn't get the attention you needed from your mom. So you wanted to try to seek it out like in other ways, right? Which makes sense as to why you would seek something like achievement later on. As you started down the path of becoming a beach body coach, you mentioned that you were fired up about helping people, right? Which I'm sure a lot of people are. When did it turn, though, from that to becoming unhealthy to where you're like now addicted to the, the validation, the success, the people patting you on the back? Like, what year was this? Where were you at in your beach body career when, when you started to notice that this was impacting you?
0: Oh, I didn't ever notice. That wasn't until I was out of it. As I was growing Beachbody and becoming more successful in business, I was feeling like, oh my gosh, I love myself. I'm out of my depression. Like I think I'm amazing. And that felt very true to me. It felt like I matter. My life is important. People care what I have to say. I, I like who I am. And that felt very true. It wasn't until that started going away that I started realizing, so did my confidence, right? So, as I decided, because I remember when I first decided to make this pivot from beach body to life coaching, I told my husband about it and he was like, nervous. And he was like, what if it doesn't work out? And I remember at the time, this was also like middle 2020, I was like, well, then I'll find something else. Like, I'm gonna be successful at whatever I do. And that is the level of confidence I had in myself at the time. And then, as my Instagram engagement started going down and people stopped caring about what I had to say as much in, you know, I wasn't getting the recognition that my confidence also started to go down. And then I started noticing, like, my thoughts would be like, oh, was that a fluke? Like, was that the most successful I'll ever be, and oh shoot, did I make the wrong choice? I shouldn't have left that. I should have kept riding that high, right? And it was then that I started noticing. Oh, I was relying so much on external validation. I thought I was really confident. I thought it was coming from within, but if it was coming from within, then it wouldn't be shaken by the other things going away. And I think it's a normal human thing. Like I feel like that's a it, external validation is. We all sort of want that to some degree. I think it's just an innate human need. But I realized that I needed to do a little bit more work on actually, truly having confidence from within and not relying on the external validation and ac- achievements and accomplishment to say, you know, I'm good and worthy and all of that. But I didn't notice it at the time. I thought I was great. I thought it was like, you know, high vibe. It wasn't until it went away.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's true, right? Because a lot of times we really don't know that something's a problem until like that thing is ripped away from us, right? It's like somebody going into rehab for a drug, right? They like think they have they don't have a problem, they're managing their life great, and then all of a sudden they're off to rehab, they don't have any drugs, and then oh my gosh, like I'm a mess, like my life is falling apart, and I I don't have it together like I thought I did.
0: Right, I think a lot actually about like addiction is just trying to escape your mind. And I think that uh, that achievement for me was also right trying to escape my mind and not really dealing with my own like I've never lived alone. I always had roommates and then you know my boyfriend now husband so I've never lived alone and I never wanted to be alone. I always wanted to have people around me and I look back now and I know that's because I didn't like myself and so my own internal voice was terrifying to be with and I think that's what happens a lot with addicts is Their brain is a total asshole. And in order to escape that and whatever pain it is they've got going on, that's the only time that it's quiet, right? Is when they've got something in their system and it feels less painful and more tolerable. And so I think I just had a different addiction to escape the pain.
1: And staying on the theme of addiction, like you've been open now about like some of your mental health issues, you've been open about your struggles with mental health. And then also like times where you've struggled with being addicted to success and achievement and that sort of thing. Where does like your relationship with alcohol like fall into this? Because I know like at times throughout your career, you've been more open about like like drinking fairly regularly, you know, on social media and stuff like that. And then lately I've heard you say that you're kind of backing off on that for you know, just trying to make improvements there. And I know that, you know, alcohol with people who are having trouble with their mental health, it can be a very, very slippery slope, right? Was alcohol ever a coping mechanism for you throughout this process? And like, how is your relationship with alcohol evolved?
0: No, you know, I don't think it was. I don't feel like it ever, like the times that I drank the most were actually probably when I was the happiest in my life. I was the most social. And it was a lot of like, I, are you familiar with Enneagram?
1: Yes, yeah, I'm a three.
0: Okay, yeah. So I resonate a lot with three, but I have a lot of eight. And I... I don't know. My innate fear was that I wasn't going to be successful, right? So then that would mean that I'm a root three. But I resonate a lot with eight, which is like, don't tell me what to do. And so I kind of liked that I was a fitness professional, someone who worked out and cared about health, who also drank. Because that wasn't like, I think you see it more now. But back when I started 10 years ago, that wasn't a thing. And I liked telling people like, you get to be whoever you want to be. And you can be successful at that. And so I don't, uh, lots of people have, haters have come out and said, oh, she's an alcoholic and she has a big issue with alcohol. I don't think I ever had an issue with alcohol. I never used it as a way to escape. But I did like the freedom of like, I can be whatever, I can be successful and like to drink. I can be a fitness professional and like to drink. But the reason that I've sort of now reevaluating my relationship with it is because I'm really focused on feeling good. And I don't know if maybe alcohol always impacted my mental health or if it's just with aging. But I notice now, like, I never had brain fog. When I would have a hangover, I would never have brain fog. I'd just be, like, kind of tired. And... I remember it was earlier. Well, it was last year, I guess. Now, January of last year, we were at a vacation with some friends, and I was up to like 2 a.m. or 3 or something like that. And then the next day, my brain just was not functioning, and I was really scared. I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm stressing my adrenals out." And so I asked someone there; he's a firefighter, and so he had like medical experience. I was like, "What does it mean when you know you've got major brain fog? Like, what does that mean for my body?" And he's like. I think that's just called a hangover. And then I started talking to my, I talked to my husband about that. And I talked to my best friend about it. And I'm like, do you guys get brain fog when you're hungover? And they were like, yes. And they're like, you'd never have. And I'm like, no, I had no idea that that was a part of it. But my brain is my favorite thing about me. I think it's the most, like, I'm obsessed with the brain in general. But mine is the only one I have control over. And I don't like, like, cognitive impairment. And now I get brain fog when I drink, and then I also notice like it affects my it affects my sleep. Certainly, I wear the Aura Ring at night, so I I track my sleep, and I know my readiness score is always low. And like sometimes I'm just not motivated for a few days if I have like a weekend where we're on vacation, I drink more. And so ultimately it's like, I just want to feel really good all the time. And so I don't want to drink as much. It just doesn't feel good anymore. But for years it felt really good and really fun. And I didn't have any issues with like brain fog or anything. So yeah, I just am all about feeling good now and it stopped feeling good. So I stopped drinking as much.
1: Yeah, I think it's always important to look at your relationship with something and say, okay, is this like actually contributing to my life in a positive way or is it taking away from my – or is it devaluing my life in some way, right? And just making that tough decision and figuring out what works best for you. You talked about like the haters – coming after you online and like when I was like researching you, I found that that was like a common theme and I guess just playing devil's advocate, I'm not like, what do you think that like if you were to put yourself in their shoes, do you think they were coming at it because they genuinely just wanted to pick on you or do you think they came at it from a place of like you have a platform, like you shouldn't be like doing certain things when you have people following you? Like what do you think was actually at the true root of why people came after you for that?
0: I think those people are in pain. I think they're in a lot of pain. And I think that they, most of them probably don't like themselves. Genuinely, I really think that they are suffering and maybe feel like they don't fit in. Or they've been also checking boxes their whole life and feel unfulfilled. And so now they find this group that they can go powwow and shit on other people's lives. And finally feel like they belong somewhere and there's this community there. I don't think it came from a genuine concern from any of them because if they had a genuine concern I don't think going on a reddit blog and being a, like saying horrible things is the way to do it like if you're genuinely concerned about me there's a different way to go about it and not going and talking shit and being an awful human I I don't even want to say awful human but it's a very wounded human and like and it's not just me like I've seen them talk about people who are going through Awful, devastating things, and they're still dragging them through the mud. And there's no way that a healthy, well-adjusted human is doing that. Like, and I also know that when I was the most mentally unstable is when I was also the most judgmental and mean because it was so much easier I could feel better about myself if I found issues with other people out there so I do not think ever it's coming from a good place towards me I think it's probably coming from a desperate place themselves and I don't think they're aware of that right like if any of them are listening to this they're like oh she's out of her mind no she's a psycho and whatever and I think that's fine like whatever you need to do to feel your best and if this is the place that you found a community and you want me to be your bag, I'm fine with it now. I really don't care because I also think a lot of these judgments are coming off of, like, these people don't know me. They don't know any of these people. They know what I share and they think that they have an idea, right? But, like, at the end of the day, you don't know me. You know what I put out into the world, which is a snapshot. Like, all in all, my stories are maybe 10 to 15 minutes of my day that you see, right? So, it's like, I don't care really what you think. If you think I'm an alcoholic and if you feel like it's a problem that I have a platform and I should use it for, then you fucking create your own platform, man. Like create your own platform and tell your story that you want. I just really am like, I'm going to focus on what feels good to me and tell my story. And if it doesn't relate with you or resonate with you, that's fine. I don't need it to, you know, like, and if you feel at home in these pages where you can just drag other people down all day long, whatever makes you feel good. That is not what makes me feel good. So I'm not going to be spending my life doing that, but I'm also not going to be catering my life to your wants for me. You know, I just no, I do not think they're coming from a good place. I think they're coming from a desperate, wounded one.
1: I definitely noticed some of the hate like and how mean people were and that's where I kind of I'm like you know, it's one thing to be constructive and like actually sending somebody like an honest message and not to say that somebody should do this. I'm just saying like, it's one thing if somebody's like, hey, like, listen, like I saw this, have you ever thought about this? Or have you ever thought about that? Like either way, I support you. Like that's one thing, right? It's another thing to create like a thread and just say hateful things in the thread about somebody. Like, I think that just shows a lot about, you know, where that person's at because like you said, I I found in my own experiences as well, that when i've had an issue with the way somebody was handling something or doing something whether i was friends with them or not and i wanted to confront them if i was feeling good about myself like it was like a loving like compassionate constructive conversation versus like if i hated myself it was like me just jabbing at somebody and like poking in the bear. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to make sure we touched on that because I know that obviously, you know, you spoke on it when we were talking about alcohol. So obviously you're aware of it. I know that obviously reading that stuff at times can be very hurtful. And I wanted just to kind of just give you an opportunity. I don't read it. That's a boundary
0: for sure. I don't mind that. Like, I know that there's people out there that say that stuff and that don't like me, but I don't read it because it is not, healthy for me to read it. But the other thing that I want to address is like, if someone were to come to you, right? Because at some point, well, I, you said you're in recovery for 14 years. So at some point you, you know, may, with, of alcohol? Opiates. Opiates. So if a stranger online comes to you and they have like these concerns, I don't know how much weight that would have carried with you at the time. Now, if you're my sister or my friend or someone who knows me in my life and knows me personally. And then you come to me. That's very different than these people that are absolute strangers online that don't know you. They're like, Hey, this concerns me for me. It's just like, okay, you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how, how would have you, how would you have received that if a stranger that doesn't know you at the time when you were in the middle of your addiction?
1: It's a good question. I think there's a lot of layers to it. I think one, I think alcohol consumption is more public at times than like opiates, right? Like you're never gonna see anybody like, I don't think you're gonna see anybody snorting an opiate on an IG stories, right? But you're gonna see somebody like ripping a shot or drinking a glass of wine, right? And not to say that if you do that, you're an addict. I'm just saying like as far as like use goes, like I'm just thinking about it, like you're getting it from people from your audience and social media. When when I was using there wasn't like this big, massive social media thing. But if it was a stranger and they 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 did, and that's the thing. Like then, like if that were the case, like uh, typically somebody in my audience, like randomly, wouldn't know I had a problem if they never saw me like online doing something. Right? I would definitely like you said. uh, There's different weights on like like on what people say to you. Like if it's your sister, if it's a close friend, if it's a colleague, I'm sure it carries more weight. I was just saying it as a general thing of somebody, like the way they communicate like to somebody about if they have a problem or not, not necessarily just you, I'm just saying people in general, to where if you're coming at it from a place of genuine love and care that you're actually like witnessing something throughout somebody's day or throughout somebody's life where you have a genuine concern and you know based on research based on educating yourself that this person may have an addiction to something and you know this person well that you know their life and then reaching out to them from a place of, of compassion versus like just demonizing somebody behind their back that's what i was saying right like i don't and it's such a hard topic because like unfortunately like alcohol is is so normalized now and it's like it's the only drug that you have to like Justify not using, right? Right, <laughs> and, totally. And so it's it's a hard subject. And, I'm, and me asking you these questions, I'm not judging you. Like I, I honestly, when I see this, I just like to ask different questions because I'm trying to be curious on like, well, how has this all impacted you? Because I know from my own experience and others' experiences that when people have a hard time with their mental health and they and sometimes alcohol is involved, sometimes you know alcohol can add fuel to the fire if if you're not careful.
0: Oh. Yes. I mean, when I was very depressed and unhealthy, if I was drinking, I would pretty much cry every time, you know, like one time this guy cut me off at the bar. I guess I was being an asshole. I didn't even feel like I was that drunk. And I I mean, I was, I was real young, but I remember feeling, I went to the bathroom and cried and I was like, I'm a piece of shit. No one wants me around. Right. Like, so certainly if you have an unhealthy mental state, I don't think any sort of drug or alcohol is going to help. It's going to magnify that.
1: For sure. 100%. And I just think that I guess to put a bow on it, I think at the end of the day, like you should never judge a book by its cover no matter who it is, right? Like you just never know what someone's going through. You never know what like is actually going on in somebody's, you know, home. Like you only, you're only seeing a small glimpse on social media. And let's just also remember social media isn't reality. Like social media, I mean, obviously people are share real stuff on there, but there's a lot of stuff on there that's, it's just there to, you know, in many ways for entertainment purposes, right? And I think that's imp- an important lesson for people to remember, no matter if they're, you know, following somebody like you or anybody else that, you know, you're just getting a small glimpse of like what actually goes on in somebody's life. And so now I guess like transitioning into like a more positive frame of mind, like, I think it's really impressive what you've built throughout your career as going from somebody that was having a hard time with your mental health to becoming like one of the most successful beach body coaches, you know, in the last decade, right, you became the top coach two years in a row, you had to have to be super meticulous, I'm sure about your focus, discipline and habits throughout that process. And there's a lot of people that that struggle with that. Now they're struggling to stay, to stay focused on certain tasks, but what have been some of the things that have helped you over the years? Be able to be so focused, disciplined, and consistent on the daily actions you needed to take that led to your success.
0: So, again, the Enneagram A in me, I would question a lot when people say, you know, a lot of personal development books are like, you got to start your morning at 6 a.m. or before, you know, 5 a.m. club or whatever, the miracle morning, like all this stuff about the morning routine and you got to make your bed and you got to do all these things. And they have all this like recipe for success. And while that may be true, like scientifically, you could look and say the majority of millionaires get up at 6 a.m. or the majority of millionaires make the bed. Like there might be a ton of evidence to support that. But I also, I just was like, I asked questions a lot. Like, does that make sense? Could Could I still be successful and not make my bed? Let me just go see if I can do it, right? And so I just sort of was like, what works for me? And what works for me is actually not what most of the entrepreneurs and personal development says, What works for me is I have like daily non-negotiables, things that I do that are going to get me closer to who I want to be or how I want to show up or the goal, whatever it is I'm focusing on at the time, right? To get me to be closer to the kind of mom I want or the wife or the entrepreneur or the network marketer or whatever it is. So when I was building my business, I also always focused on the long term. I never play the short game. I never am like, I need success by six months or a year, I'm like 10 years from now, if I show up every day in a way that feels good, and I'm doing the things, where am I going to be? I'm going to be a freaking millionaire, like for sure. Right. I remember back when I started and I had no success. I was like, I'm a CEO of a million dollar business. Not today, but I will be. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to be here until the success comes. So I had non-negotiables, but I really don't buy into this idea that it, it has to be done a certain way. And for me, that works because as any, with a lot of, I resonate so much with the Enneagram eight, which is the challenger. If you guys aren't familiar with the Enneagram, it's the challenger, right? They don't like to be put in a box. So I don't really like these broad sweeping statements that like, yeah, you got to get up and get it done before the sun or whatever. I just, I'm like, no, you have to decide I'm committed to success. What does that look like for me? What is my commitment? How does it feel good to you? I mean, right now, I, my latest thing that I just created is a podcast called InSource. And the whole idea behind it is like, stop looking outside for people to tell you the way to live your life and the quote unquote experts on your body or on entrepreneur or whatever, like what feels good to you, but you have to be committed to it, right? So I'm not just saying like willy nilly, you don't have to do anything, but if you want to be successful... What are the things that you have to do? And I don't believe that they need to be done before the sun. I, my bed is not made today. I like to make my bed. It does feel good to make your bed. And I don't make my bed every day. And I don't wake up before the sun, right? And so, and I like that. I also like, that's part of why I liked being someone that was a fitness professional who drank. Like I like to do it my way and prove to myself and anyone else that you can do it your way. Because I just feel like there's so much of here's this beautiful lane that you can be successful in. And maybe if you did it exactly as they're all laying out, you would be successful, but maybe you'd be miserable doing it. I don't know. I'm not a morning person. I'm just not. And I've tried many times. Maybe one day I'll be. But today I'm not. And I like that. I like not starting my work day until like noon. I work from like noon to five. And that works for me, right? And so for me, the biggest thing is I think, what is the story you're telling yourself? Because if you're saying, I just am not successful because I can't get up in the morning. How is that serving you? What if you could just be a a night owl that's successful, right? So I think it's really looking at the story. I'm not saying that all of those people don't know what they're talking about because clearly they're saying it because it worked for them. But I do think that, It doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all approach. And so being really curious and sort of open with what makes you feel good and being committed to the long game. Like, if I were to show up this way every day for the next 10 years, am I going to get where I want to be? Or was I just a sad sack sitting on the couch and throwing a pity party because, whoopsies, I snoozed on my alarm, so screw this day. I guess I'll start tomorrow. Like if you show up like that every day for 10 years, you're not going to get any closer. So I think it's, I would have this idea, like this goal, here's where I want to go and here's the way I want to do it. And I would just like try different things on. Does this feel good? Does that feel good? I tried the morning thing. It didn't feel good. So I don't do the morning thing and I do it my way. And so that's the way that it works for me. I just think people just need to get more curious and stop taking these broad sweeping, like, success looks like ABC. It's like, I don't know, maybe it doesn't. Maybe for you, it's DFG. I don't know, right? So I think it's really mostly for me always been about the story that I'm telling myself.
1: Yeah. And I like what you said about not using what works for everybody else to try to make it work for yourself. And I think that's becomes a problem. I mean, what I've always found and I try to tell people is like, if you read like a handful of personal development books, just like pick different themes in each one of those that that resonate with you. And don't try to like model your life after one book or one podcast or one seminar, like find where you can, you know, take a few nuggets from something. And then how can that fit within what you're already doing? You've coached a ton of people, you know, throughout your life, as far as building them up to be successful beach body coaches. We just talked about like, what's worked for you. What has been a few of the common like struggles with your coaches that you've had to help them work throughout the years? Like what have they been and, and how have you helped them to get through those?
0: I mean, I think the biggest thing is probably overcoming other people's opinions. I feel like that's the thing that comes up the most for people is what are people going to think of me and, you know, am I doing it wrong and am I going to fail and just really like a lot of external focus comes up for people. And I know that that certainly came up for me, but I've always been really coachable. So if someone is living the kind of life that I want to be living and has achieved the kinds of things that I want to achieve and they say, do it this way, then I'm going to try it. So I always listen to people that are where I want to be and try them and then see if it, if it works for me or not. Right. Kind of going back to what you just said about the books, like maybe you read the miracle morning and you try it for two weeks and you're like, okay, I'm going to take everything I'm going to do this in the morning. And then you can just see, do I like all of it? Do I like none of it? Do I like some of it? But I feel like, while it's very normal to care. I mean, it's an innate human need, right? To have love and belonging. And so I think it's normal that we care about other people's opinions. It's just such a bummer that we've sort of learned that that's the only opinion that matters. That our opinion of ourself is like absolutely irrelevant. And you want to put these things out into the world... But you're afraid of what they'll think, or you start putting things out into the world, and not enough people are like liking it or engaging with it, or you get your mother-in-law that has a comment on it, or your coworker has something to say about it, and then you make that mean, I guess I shouldn't be doing this, or I'm embarrassed, or whatever. So I think that's the thing that comes up the most is really so much external focus on how are other people receiving what I'm putting out into the world instead of deciding like what makes you feel good, what makes you come alive, what is it you want to share? How do you want to help people? And then putting it out regardless... I get that's where the long game comes into play, right? Because when I first started my page, I first started posting, nobody... I had no likes. I had no followers. So no one's engaging with it. But just like, okay, but if I keep showing up like this for 10 years, where will I be? A lot closer to where I want to be than now, right? So I was just like, I'm just going to keep showing up because... This thing that has helped me change my life. Like right now I'm in the middle of a pivot, right? So I had built this big ass empire in network marketing and I'm pivoting and I'm starting from basically zero again. And I just am like, okay, there's no rush. I know that it's, I'm going to build another empire. And I know actually the success that I'm heading towards is going to like be hugely more powerful than what I've achieved in the past, but I don't need to do it right now. I don't need to do it in six months. I don't need to do it in a year. I'm just going to keep showing up and I'm going to keep showing up because the work that I'm sharing now with all this mindset and, you know, cognitive development and brain function and like thought work and stuff has completely changed my life. So if I can just stand in that, like I want as many people to know about this as possible. And I know lots of people aren't going to give a shit about it. But that's okay. The people that don't give a shit about it, that's not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the people that need this, right? So I think it's, for me, that's what it was with Beachbody too, was like I was a serial dieter until I found this thing that finally felt like freeing and really joyful. And so I was like, this worked for me. I want to tell it to as many people as possible. I know Beachbody isn't for everybody. But it was for me, and I'm gonna tell as many people as possible and then let them decide, right? And so for me now, with like life coaching and all this thought work, it's probably not for everybody. I know some people are gonna think this is woo woo and wacky and don't buy into it. That's cool. I'm not talking to you. This message isn't for you then. This message is for the people that want this message, that resonate with it. So if you are struggling with, you know, thinking about other people and their opinion and whatever, I think you got to do a little bit more work on one of two things. One, more belief on yourself or more belief on the product that you're trying to share and put out into the world. Because if you are solid on both of those things, then people can say whatever about it, you know? And you're like, cool, you don't have to like it. That's your loss. Like whenever I got nose with Beachbody, I'm like, fine, that's your, you don't even know what you're missing. I'm going to go keep telling it to other people because people got to know about this. I just never took it personally. And when people, if they don't want my life coaching or they don't see the value in it right now, it's like, okay, no problem. But like, damn, that's a big loss for you. But okay, I'll be here whenever you're ready, right? Like I just really believe in it. And so I think that's the biggest thing. If you're struggling with other people's opinions, you're, you're probably struggling in belief in yourself or belief in what it is that you're trying to share.
1: And then like what percentage of people, like based on your experience with Body, like actually believe in the product? Would you say, if you had to guess, what do you think it actually is?
0: I would think most people believe in the product and struggle with believing in themselves. I would bet most people, right? Because they do it and then they love the fitness. They love working out at home. They love the community. They love all that. But then it's like, okay, now I got to go tell people about it, but I don't want to be annoying and I don't want to come off salesy and I don't want to be obnoxious, right? So then it's like, that's when the belief in yourself, that's when you need to do the work on
1: that. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so like with you, like now leaving the beach body Island, I guess, if you will, like how does that work for like your- business there? Does that just all go away? Or are you still like entitled to some income from the business that you've built?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's still, I still make income from it based on, I mean, at one point, you know, I had 12,000 people on my team and I don't know where it is now, but I try to, you know, for years support them, but I haven't really actively recruited or brought people into that space in really three years, probably or something like that because i had built you know this massive empire and i spent so 10 8 years of my life probably every single day showing up multiple times a day right before instagram stories i was posting 5 to 8 times a day and then instagram stories it's like all day every day i never missed a day for 8 years and you know so you build this big business and i know people have an issue with that cuz it's like You build this team and then, and people think network marketing is this pyramid scheme where it's just about building your team as big as possible and bringing as many people on. But the only reason I was successful is not because of the numbers, but because I was so committed to helping them be successful, you know? So I helped tons of other coaches create their own empires and build their own empires and be successful. So it'd be like if you started a coffee shop and you started from scratch and no one's coming in and then you work at it every single day for 10 years and you focus on your marketing and your messaging and you get all these people in and now people are talking about your coffee shop and they're obsessed with it, then you're like, okay, I think I'm going to go try and open a farm or whatever, right? You want to pivot and you want to try something else and Then people are like, well, then you shouldn't be entitled to anything that you did with the coffee shop. It's like, I spent 10 years building this. Why wouldn't I be entitled to it, you know? So yeah, people have issues with that, but yeah, I still make an income off of it. It's dwindling and it's going down.
1: I would hope so. That's why I was asking. Cause I would hope that you get yeah. some money from that.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's certainly going down. Like we took about a 50% cut this year. I feel like, you know, for a couple of years I was really stressed about the income and now I just, I feel so rooted and grounded in this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be talking about. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, where I'm supposed to be going. Like I just have full confidence in myself and what it is I'm talking about that I know it'll be fine.
1: And so you've gotten to a place where you've pretty much reached the pinnacle in a career like we've kind of touched on a couple of times. Like, what are a few things that you thought that you would feel or that you would have or accomplish, you know, personally by getting to this place that actually like didn't happen when you got there that you thought you would have? Like inner peace, happiness, like what were some of the things that were a facade?
0: I think, so what I teach now is, you know, your thoughts create everything. So a lot of times we try to change the circumstance, i.e. we try to lose 20 pounds so that we can feel more confident, or we try to make X amount of money so that we can feel successful or worthy, or we try to achieve this, right, to feel worthy or lovable or whatever. And so we'll try to change the circumstance, but it's never the circumstance that it's ever caused anything. It's always the thought that we have. So... When I reached the top, it was like I definitely felt worthy and felt like, you know, okay, I finally did it and my family can be proud of me and stuff. But then, like we talked about, I had sort of an identity crisis of where do I go now? And so I think if I could tell you guys anything, it's that if you feel like you're going to be happier or richer or you'll finally find, you know, a partner or be more successful or whatever confident when you lose the weight or make the money or you know live a certain way whatever that it is not true you'll just be thinking different thoughts that then you'll decide will make you happier but it's always the thought it's never like there could be someone that weighs 200 pounds that hates herself and then there's someone that weighs 200 pounds and loves herself so it's not the body right? There's someone that's making a hundred grand a year that loves their life and their job. And there's another person making a million a year that hates their life and their job. It's not the money that is making, that's causing anything else in your life. So we focus on the wrong line. We're focusing on the wrong thing, which is changing the circumstance. It's always the thought. So that's why like, you know, I deal a lot with in the body image space. So that's, that's my easiest parallel to make. But some of you listening, you've been smaller than you are now and you were still unhappy then, like you still had self-loathing, right? Or you've reached that goal and you still felt like it wasn't enough, so then you just set the bar higher. That's what I did, right? When you're an achievement addict, it's like I never would stop and celebrate. It was just like, okay, check the box. What's next? What's next? What's next? Because it was like, it was never about the achievement. I thought, oh, I'll feel worthy when I reach that. But then that's not really what it was because it's always the thought, so that's why so much, so many of us are so unhappy is because we keep trying to fix the wrong thing. And if you don't fix your thought, your brain, because it's very smart, will just, so if you're like, oh, my job sucks. So I hate my boss. Then you go get another job and maybe your boss is great, but something else sucks about it. Right? I hate being the new guy or I don't get to ask the time off or whatever, because it's always been your thought. It's never been the circumstance. Your job, job didn't suck because you hated your boss. Or your boss was an asshole. Your job sucked because of thoughts you were choosing to think. Always, 100 times out of 100, it is your thoughts. And it's so, like, while that is really hard work to do, it is so much more empowering because it means you are always in control of your life.
1: Yeah, and you gotta change your thoughts and you gotta change your perspective and, like, learn to embrace the journey because I think if you embrace the journey and you love what you do, whether it's, you know, what you're doing professionally or personally or on your fitness journey, then, like, everything else will just happen along the way because you're just so committed to that process of growing and becoming a better version of yourself and just getting better, like day by day. And I, to bring things back like full circle, like we talked about at the beginning, like how you've left the island of beach body and you're now like swimming in this river, this ocean, like just trying to find this new place for yourself. On a professional level and on a personal level, I saw you make a post about like, it was like sometime last year where you kind of hit like a, I don't know if it was a mental or an emotional rock bottom, but you've, you discovered that you really didn't like love yourself. And I don't know if you were having a conversation. I think it was with your therapist, but you came to this realization that you, I guess, were having trouble with like self-love. How have you been able to like rebuild your relationship with yourself and then develop true confidence over the last couple of years?
0: Mm. So when you say last year, you mean like just like a couple weeks ago, because I think that was a post that I just wrote.
1: It was like a reel and you were like poking at, you were like fraud, like it was yes. all these limiting beliefs or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So something happened in February 22 where I had someone that I thought was a like soul sister of mine did something and it made me feel really rejected. And at the time I just dropped into a deep space of self-loathing, like instantaneous like this thing happened and I immediately it was like I am a piece of, I went right back to muscle memory to where I was years ago when I hated myself and so I got home and talked to my life coach about it and she was coaching me on it and I you know I was like yeah you know I, I really I love myself and I don't know why why I'm doing this. And then I said to her, like, I'm a ride or die friend. Like I am very loyal and I go to bat for people that I love. And she's like, okay, so do you love yourself? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, so if you are a ride or die person and you love yourself, Why aren't you ride or dying for you? Like, why aren't you going to bat for you? And that was the first big epiphany. So that's been the mission that I've been on since February of last year is showing up for myself the way that I would show up for someone that I love. And so sometimes when, you know, I've got my inner bully that comes out and says some nasty things and I want to believe it, I'll be like, well, if my best friend or my daughter or my husband were to tell me this story about themselves, would I allow them to continue thinking this? Like... If someone that I loved was telling them the things that I'm telling me, would I allow that for them? And if the answer is no, then I just don't allow it for myself. Then I'm like, okay, then why are you indulging in this? Why are you believing that nobody likes you and that you're annoying and that you're too much and too loud and no one cares if you're there? Why are you believing that? I just started really treating myself as if I loved myself. And not just saying I love myself because I like myself, but really having the discipline to speak back to the inner bully Because I feel like we're constantly sending messages to ourselves that we are worthy of love or we're not. And I didn't realize that I was like, by not sticking up for myself to my own brain, was sending the message that I'm not really worthy of my own love. And I'm just not going to do that anymore because it feels like crap. So I've decided that's the mission I'm on, is to show up for myself the way I would show up for someone that I really love, my kid, my best friend, my husband, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah. And I just think showing up for your truest self and truly loving yourself. And like you said, not just like kind of saying it, like actually believing it and acting like it when things get tough. I think that is ultimately not only what's going to make, you know, somebody happier over time, but that's what's going to build true confidence because it's going to build belief in yourself. And thanks for sharing all that you just shared. I'm glad that that Like setback in your life, like just a short setback, I guess, if you will, like led to now another deep layer of personal growth for you. So Ashley, this has been awesome. I think this is a great place for us to close our conversation because everything's kind of come back full circle. So if people want to connect with you, they want to listen to your podcast, they want to follow along your journey on social media, where's the best place for them to do that?
0: Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Ashley Molstead, which is A-S-H-L-I-E. M-O-L-S-T-A-D, Ashley Molstead on Instagram. I have a podcast, I have two podcasts. I have one with my best friend that's just kind of like a good time and it's called You Can Sip With Us. And then I recently, what was it? Maybe November? Launched InSource, which you can find in either of those anywhere you get your podcasts. And then if you're interested, you know, in life coaching or learning a little bit more about me, my website is just my name, AshleyMolstead.com
1: sweet well make sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes and for those listening what i invite you to do is to share a takeaway maybe it was something that ashley recently just shared about loving herself maybe it was something that she said about her beach body business. Maybe it was something that she said about like doing her own thing when it came to like building her brand and building her business and not necessarily, you know, trying to fit within a box. Maybe it was something she said about how she struggled with her mental health. Maybe it was something that she said about her relationship with alcohol. Whatever the takeaway was that you aligned with most, make sure to share it and tag Ashley, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. We once again thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.